0: Okay. We will begin with a word of prayer. Let me find one real quick. Okay. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um. Um, excuse me, Heavenly Father. Though we do not deserve Your goodness, still You provide for all our needs of body and soul. Grant us Your Holy Spirit, that we that we may acknowledge Your gifts, give thanks for all Your benefits, and serve You in willing obedience. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we are at chapter eight, right? Uh, beginning on page one sixty-eight. Yeah, that, that's what you read. That's good. That's what you should have read. Chapter eight: the gift of a neighbor and the beginning of love. Uh, before another book over there. Yeah, there's another book here.
1: I did Monday Nancy. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just borrow it for
0: today. Sure. Yeah, it's a good book. So, any, before we get into the questions about this chapter, uh, any highlights from the chapter that you really stood out to you? Try to begin class with highlights. I see
2: that it's exactly what I see it. When I go to church with Kathy. Yeah. When I go to her Bible study over there. Yeah. I mean, it
0: describes everything. Yeah. So, I guess, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Uh, you know. Well. You don't have to go into too many specifics if you don't want to. Uh, it's basically uh,
2: emotions, and uh, depending on that. And uh, one of the girls... Uh, 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 in the class has been very sick and so last Thursday night afterward we all, the entire class drove to her house and stood in the driveway for prayer and I heard all these different people with their prayer Mm -hmm. and telling God what to do and all of this and, and spelling out what needs to be done. Uh, and all of this and I thought I uh, what can I say, what can I do? And I don't want to disrupt they've invited me to join them and I tried to so it, um after a little while I I started singing. Praise oh. God from whom all Blessings for they all joined in oh, and thought that was so good. <laughs> yeah. We kinda wrapped it up that way we all. <laughs> <So good. laughs>
0: All right, that's enough of this. <laughs> well yeah, you know, it's kind of funny you, you meant and then you know what? That's I love that. It. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things. It's like you that's a great thing to go to somebody's house and pray for, like they can see that you're actually praying for them. Mm. Uh, how you pray is also very important as well. And so and, and so yeah, that's that's kind of interesting. It's like um, when you when when we pray, we shouldn't be Afraid to ask God for the things we need for sure, um, and even if you know to be to be charitable, even if your prayers do include do 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 include something like God, you need to make this happen. You need to make this happen. You need to make this happen. I mean, we know from Romans that the Holy Spirit, um, with groanings too deep for words, like packages all that up and. Presents it well for for God to consider, right? Uh, and God God knows our hearts, and He also knows what's best for us. It's just you know if we can kind of discipline ourselves for not necessarily uh, uh, demanding that God have our way, and if He and if He doesn't give us our way, then we're going to be really, really, really upset, kind of thing. It's like that's part of the Lord's Prayer, right? Thy will be done, right? Uh, that 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 we pray that God's God's will would be done um and that we would be blessed by it even if it's not even if it's something that we didn't expect or really want but we know that it's something we need right and that's that's tough so that's a great thing to do is sing the doxology i love that that's that's, that's fantastic and and that's that's another thing it's kind of funny um a pastor friend of mine in louisiana he was telling me he was like because, you know, being, being a young pastor, I can kind of, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to kind of sit back a little bit and just kind of maybe let some things happen. But he was just like, no, 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 no. you got to get in there. You got to get in there and you got to kind of take the bull by the horns. Not like pushing people out of the way, but, you know, you got to you gotta make sure that um, you lead because that's what you're called to do. And he told this story about how he was out in New Orleans or he was out around town or whatever and he's wearing his collar. And this group of young people come up to him, and they go, can we pray with you? And he goes, yeah, sure. And, and and before they could say anything, he said, Lord God, Heavenly Father. And he starts praying. And he, like, preemptively prayed before they could get any words out. And he started praying and praying, and, and he prayed this great prayer of, like, you know, the Trinity and, you know, the blessings that God the Father bestows upon us, with, you, you know, through a through His Son Jesus Christ, that we would be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that and that all people would come to a right knowledge of faith in God, and and so on, and so forth. Uh, all these things we pray through Jesus Christ, Your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with You and the with You and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. By the time He was done praying, they just kind of like. Okay. Have a nice day, and they just walked. <laughs> it's like you know, because because he said they probably thought that I was like some Roman Catholic that needed saving, and he's he's like, but it's, it's just really funny. So some sometimes you know you just gotta you gotta just I I think it's also kind of a funny or a hard thing to do when you're praying with people or you're asking people to pray that I try sometimes to also say you know there are some people who are sick or. They are hurt so badly that the possibility of them recovering fully is just not really a possibility. Yet we pray that God would heal them, and also if it would be, you know, if it would be his will that they would heal him, that 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 he would heal them, and if not, that he would give them strength to bear this cross, right? That that he would continually point them to the salvation that is won through Christ the everlasting life that is provided through him, because that's ultimately what really matters. And I think that that is counter to the way a lot of American Christians pray. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was at a coffee shop the other day, and there were these two girls off to the side of me on a, on a at a table, and they were talking, and I don't know exactly what they were talking about, but at some point they started praying. And the prayer, I just... I felt I felt so bad for him. I kind of wanted to jump in there, and be like, "Can I pray with you, Lord God?" You know, and and just praying with them because it was all just a bunch of like, "Lord, just let them feel your presence," and and yes, Lord, just make make your presence felt. And I was just like, "What? What? You, what? Oh my goodness! Can I just come in here and say that Jesus Christ has died for your sins? That 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 He forgives you of everything? You know, when you trust in Him and." You know, So I was praying for them while they were praying. I was like, Lord, Lord, hear their prayer rightly. Yeah, right? So yeah, sometimes it can be kind of tough when people have a misunderstanding of good works, of prayer, of relationship versus religion, which is what we're going to talk about, right? Um, Any other highlights from this chapter that you want to touch on before we get into it?
3: It was a little dismaying, this relationship theology. Mm. How... Um, how much it's crept into all of our lives. Uh-huh. And and I, a couple chapters ago, we talked about how uh, even Lutherans have some of this wrong thinking. Well, oh, yeah. my goodness, that yeah. was... I, That's a big one.
0: Uh, yikes. <laughs> That's a big one. I've heard plenty of pastors say, you know, it's just great to see how they're just growing in their relationship with Jesus. And every time I heard that, I was like, I see what you mean, and I can kind of agree, but something's just a little off about that. I don't, I don't, I don't really know. And then reading this chapter, I was like,
2: there "Okay, <laughs> okay,
0: that's very clear," and I and I can see, I can, I can now maybe gently be able to say, "Well, what about their unity with Christ, as opposed to the relationship? You know, what about, what about, um, you know, how about, how about let's talk about that because that's." More comforting and assuring, right? And we'll get into the whole difference between religion and uh, relationship. Um, so yeah, we've, and that's that. That's like question four on our yeah. on our sheet. But yeah, so that's kind of eye opening, right? To kind of to kind of see it put in that way. Now, do we have a relationship on some level with Jesus? Yeah, and he talks about that, right? He talks about how yeah, everybody has a relationship with Jesus, whether they like it or not. You know, some people hate him. You know, I mean it's it's one of those things like, do you have a relationship with Jesus? No. It's like actually yeah you do, you hate him, if that's the case. You know, you say, No, I don't no, I don't trust Jesus. It's like, okay, well then fine, you have a bad relationship with Jesus. Right? <laughs> but it's a relationship. It's a relationship. That's that that's right. But we'll get into this whole thing about relationship and why that's kind of a that's not the best way to talk about uh, our faith and, and you know, our our unity with Christ, right? Yeah, good point. Even even Lutherans kind of succumb to these things. We're not, you know, we should take heed lest we fall, as Paul says. Right? Any other any uh, other highlights from this chapter? Towards the end, I like where it says, "Whether you feel forgiven or not, or
4: it's done for you." Yeah, it's the job's done. Yeah, and I was, I wrote at the end of the chapter. It is finished. Yeah, that's right. That's, he, he said, it's done. Yeah,
0: it is. Yeah, it's you finished. don't
4: have to do anything. You don't have to add anything. That's it's right. It's done.
0: That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, and that's so much more comforting when you have that assurance Yeah, attached to it as opposed to just how you feel or when your feelings kind of influence you a little bit more than you should, than it should, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, good points. Any other... Highlights before we dive in. Anything else?
1: In this devotional book for the Lent, huh? You know, I've been reading that. Yeah. And there was one that just really took me back. Um, talking about forgiveness, and Jesus said, "My blood did that mm-hmm. for you know to give you forgiveness. Mm-hmm. My blood did that. Uh-huh. I've never." Seen it written down like that. My blood did that
2: for you. Yeah,
0: me. that's right. Yeah, and it was just really. Yeah. Just kind of got to me. That's good. I that went, wow. That's yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, that's great. My I mean, blood did that. Yeah, your blood that you shed. Yeah. For me. Yeah, did that for me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and that's. Uh, you know, I, I think that's a beautiful way to put it. And it's a great way that it struck you that way, because, I mean, I don't, I, sometimes I feel bad uh, addressing the issues that are addressed in this book, because on some level, it's just like, when you spell it all out about, you know, how some people just miss the mark when it comes to how they talk about, you know, faith, how they talk about, Christianity and stuff like that, they miss the mark, and you feel so bad for them, you want to give them those beautiful things like Jesus's blood frees you from your sin. And sometimes it's really sad, though, when you do that, like... I don't think people are necessarily ready for it. It's so profound and so striking and hits you so hard yeah. that they just don't know what to do with it sometimes. And and so it's really, it's, it's kind of a tricky thing to do when you're talking to people about this stuff. You want them to have that fullness because on some level you just feel so bad that they're missing out on it. And you want them to have it. And so sometimes you have to be kind of, if they kind of, Take it easy because otherwise it'll probably make them feel like they're drinking from a fire hose, you know, that like you should give them all this grace and like Jesus died for you. He said it is finished and, you know, you don't have to worry about how you feel because Jesus is, you know, it's all this stuff that you kind of have to ease people into. Because I honestly, I don't know if people are ready. A lot of Christians, I don't know if they're necessarily all that prepared to really understand the fullness of God's grace and the fullness of what Jesus did for them, you know? Uh, Especially if they're in the mindset of like what he talks about where, you know, repentance is a one-time thing. The law is something we can keep, you know? But when you just keep giving people grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, you know, while also acknowledging the law and your sin, like you have that balance of law and gospel, it's such a dynamic— it's such a paradigm shift. People don't really know. I don't think people were really ready. They don't really know what to do with it right off the bat. They're just probably like I've talked to people about that and they just look kind of dumbfounded at me. They're just like, Oh wow. That's interesting. They need time to digest because it's so different. It's so different, but that's a great, yeah. My blood did that for you. I love that. That's great. Um, But yeah, like I said, sometimes I feel bad going through this stuff. because I'm just like, ah, I want them to have this so bad, but I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta tell them in the right way, and I gotta, I gotta, you know, be patient and, and work with people, right? He so kind of
3: leads us through this in baby steps. I mean, yeah, he, he builds on on it, and then delivers it. It's like, oh, okay, now okay, I see what you're saying.
0: But. Yeah, Pastor Wolf Miller, he's very good at at, at breaking things down and, and explaining them in a very clear way. He's uh yeah. He's a very good teacher. Very good teacher.
3: It feels like, you know, you've turned the bag inside out so that you're looking at it
0: from a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's great. And, you know, he's lived this life. He's, he's gone through all these struggles personally. But notice how he's gone through all these struggles and he gives his perspective, but he doesn't capitalize on his experience, right? He'll tell you what it felt like from his perspective. But, he'll also, but, but when he really wants to drive the point home, he uses Scripture. And he uses the clear doctrine that we have because of Scripture, right? So it's, I really appreciate him for that, for that point because he does. He flips the bag inside out, not, not just saying, you know, this is my bag and here's what it looked like for me. But this is the bag that it can be for everybody who is led astray from things that aren't necessarily the most beneficial in terms of understanding our faith. Right. So yeah, that's a good point. Okay, how about, how about we dive into our questions? Um, so, chapter 8, the gift of a neighbor and the beginning of love. So number one, uh, Christian love is sacrifice. It is selfless. It is death. Okay. What is wrong with loving yourself? What's wrong with that?
2: You walk into a Christian bookstore and look at the titles, and "Love Yourself." Yeah. And uh, yeah, I picked it up, and said, "What are they saying here?" And read some of it. Yeah. And I thought, "Oh, that's the whole focus is on me." And I couldn't see anything that Jesus. Yeah. And he "It's finished." So. I put it back on the shelf. Put it back on the yeah. shelf.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I'm kind of conflicted when I see those books because I can't. Because part of me wants to be like, we just buy all of these so nobody else can buy them. But then, I'm just like, <laughs> but then, but then I say to myself, well, but then that means that they get my money. So I don't. That's
2: kind of a conundrum. <laughs> let's go on and The next time they'll order two.
0: They'll order, order more. Yeah, and that's another problem. So I'm just like, oh well, I'll just pray that whoever picks this up that they would you know read it rightly or whatever. So um yeah, so yeah, we we are by nature in love with ourselves, right? And I I love when he said that on page 169, right? On that second paragraph. He says, "I've often heard Christians say you have to learn to love yourself before you can love your neighbor." This is absurd. No one ever hated his own flesh, Paul says in Ephesians 5, right? We are by nature in love with ourselves, and I'll prove it. When I'm sitting on the couch watching baseball and I get thirsty, I don't even think about it. I stand up, walk to the kitchen, get something to drink, and go sit down. But if I'm sitting on the couch watching baseball and my son gets thirsty and asks, Dad, could you get me something to drink? I moan and groan and say, during the next commercial, right? Uh, And when I read that, I was like, been <laughs> there, done that Ooh, man you're right yeah it's like when they asked me honey could you do I was like oh, yeah okay here we go you know even the tiniest size like "Oh." and sometimes it's, I'm, I'm I'm trying you know it's a battle you know you, you gotta kill the old Adam and you gotta you know subdue him in your baptism and it's a, it's, it's hard though because as the saying goes although you drown drown the old Adam daily right He's a good swimmer, so uh, he always keeps popping back up. He keeps popping back up, and you got to keep on. You got to keep pushing his head under the water, you know, kind of thing. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he says, "I care for myself without even thinking. I care for my own family with all sorts of trouble." So when the scriptures command us to love our neighbor as ourselves, they are commanding us out of a love for self and into a love for our neighbor. We must love and serve the people around us just as naturally and unthinkingly as we serve and take care of ourselves, right? So um, that's why he also says, in fact, in order to love God and my neighbor, I must first be set free from the bondage of my self-love. That we are actually bound in our sin to be selfish inherently, right? Um, and so I'm. I must be set free. And as we talked about uh, last time, you know, you can't. You can't train the flesh. You gotta kill it, right? That God. God does this through our baptism, as He talks about, right? So what's what's wrong with loving yourself? I mean, that's the first battleground, probably, for any of our daily struggles, is to is to deny ourselves, right? to deny ourselves and pick up our cross daily and follow Christ, right? And that's hard to do. You can't do it by yourself. It must be done by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? It must be done in really remembering your baptism, which is where the gift of faith, the gift of the Holy Spirit, was granted to you in the first place, right? With the washing of the water and the word. So, yeah, what's wrong with loving yourself? I mean, if that's if that's all you do, I, I would— I don't know I've never read these books about you know love yourself before you love someone else or whatever but I wonder it's like when's the time when you stop <laughs> when's the time when you stop loving yourself and that like how much I, I just I just I just wonder right I mean where's the point in the book that they're writing how much is too much love for yourself to the point where you finally say okay now it's time to go and love my neighbor right any thoughts on that Holly, you sound like you want to say something? You no, know, I,
3: I, don't, I don't think it ends. I think it just, because you get into that, um, not depression, but that, uh, that swing that he talks How about. I didn't see anybody come in, but I heard a
1: door
0: slam. I wonder if it was the wind picking the door open. Sometimes that happens. Anyways. Anyway, so yeah, so it never ends, right? No.
3: It's, yeah. It's, it's a delusion of, mm-hmm. of uh, you know, you still can be better in that despair mm. that that's right that
0: pendulum of despair swinging back and forth between pride and despair yeah he talks about that a lot you know um, he talks about that a lot where a lot of these things are keep you swinging back and forth pride despair pride despair and, and on some level that answer of saying you know you got to love yourself before you can love love others that's an attempt to answer probably that despair question. You know, because I would think a lot of people have self-loathing on some level, but that in itself is an indulgence of their selves, right? They're despairing, they're despairing, and they just want, they need comforting. They need something to get them out of that despair, right? They're seeking it. And sometimes that can be self-serving in misery, you know, misery loves company, right? I mean, it's one of those things of like, uh, it's not the right answer to the question. Um so, what do y'all think about that? I mean does does that make sense or or y'all be pushed back against that or or what? That just is so
3: pervasive in our culture yeah. that, that um, the things that are said are accepted as truth. I, I think of I always think of I hate going to some funerals. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's so funny. Oh, it it's so difficult because it's so much garbage that is oh, spewed, and and it it's a Lutheran funeral is completely different, but it sneaks in there too. You know, well, God must have needed them. They needed an angel there. I mean, so much yeah. is said. <laughs> Sorry, but it just it makes me crazy. And th- and thinking about well, you don't love yourself, you. You know, how, how are you going to love somebody? It's pervasive yeah. everywhere.
0: This is funny. See, so I can tell that y'all are leaving today because you're just getting it all out right now. You know? <laughs> well, I can
2: ask
3: y'all to pray for us.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. But you're right. I mean, you're right that, that yeah, funerals nowadays, like I, I, I cringe whenever I hear about, certain things that have happening at certain funerals, you know, um, because it's just, it turns into uh, like, you know, in, in our uh, Lutheran service book agenda, the, the, the extra book that I have as a pastor to kind of give me the extra rites and baptisms and confirmations and whatever else marriages and things like that funerals and gives me rubrics and guidelines. And one of the things it says in the notes, it says, you know, at a funeral um, you know, Traditionally, a Christian funeral does not include a eulogy. Uh, that there must be a proclamation of the salvation won through Christ and the resurrection of the dead on the last day. Like that's the focus of a funeral. Um, but and and it's like, but it would be proper if you would like to read an obituary. If if you would like to have a eulogy to read to read an obituary during the time of like the sermon so that people know a little bit more about the person and things like that. But it's not about that person. It's about what Christ has done for them, right? That the hope that they had in Christ and right, that sort of thing. Um, And now, but nowadays, since we live in this, such a post-Christian culture, now you have people who have funerals where, I mean, it's like a big party or something. You know, because they don't want to think about death. They're, they're so terrified of death, they want to think the opposite of it, of saying, like, you, like I, I've, I've never seen it. I've heard of these atrocities. I mean, I, I would count it on the level of, like, desecration of a corpse where they will they will get this person. Like, because the person's going to be uh, cremated at some point in time, but they'll actually pay to have them embalmed in a certain way where they're sitting in a chair. Oh. Oh. oh, they're sitting in a chair, like holding a beer or something like that, or hold, or, or like mm-hmm. sitting in a chair with like sunglasses on or something like that, and people can go up and take pictures with them and stuff, and they have a little party oh, around oh my them. Gosh. Like I've heard of that <laughs> happening. Oh, I've God. never I heard. heard I've, yeah, I know, right? It's like people people hanging out with a dead body, and, and and it's just like I I think it's it it's it's making a mockery of death in the exact wrong. Way you know we should mock death in a way, but in the sense that it has a gravity to it. But there's also the promise of the resurrection and eternal life in Christ, right? That's the gravity attached to it. That sin is nothing to laugh at, uh, except when you have Christ as your Savior. You know, because death is not one. Death is death is just another way to get to God now, so, for Christians. So, yeah, so you're right. I mean, you bring up the whole thing about funerals. That's such a hot-button topic. People don't really want to uh, push back on that. And I'm just like, you know, it's, it's one of those things that we have these things in place for comfort. You know, we have these things in place like a Lutheran a Lutheran funeral service is all about Jesus. And that's what it should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all about Jesus. It's all about what he has done. And, 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 and it's all about how now they are resting in Christ, Right. Um, so yeah, loving yourself, uh, to get back to this, you know, Christian love is sacrifice. It is selfless. It is death. I mean, yeah. So that's funny about funerals. Such a good, good tangent. Um, but yeah, so, um. I mean, and, and in, in a Christian funeral, just to tie it all together, in a Christian funeral, you hear about the love of Christ. You should hear about the love of Christ, what Christ has done, right? Um, so, okay, any other, any other thoughts about number one there? Christian love is sacrifice, it is selfless, it is death, and loving yourself. What's wrong with loving yourself? Mom, I know you're at a bit of a disadvantage. You haven't read this chapter yet, but, but. but it sounds so good. I want to show it, I want it <laughs> you, up. you want to read it? Okay.
2: <laughs>
0: well, we have extras. Um, so yeah, no. It, so okay, I think I think we've kind of touched on that pretty well. How about number two? Uh, the scriptures locate good works first in our homes, and then with the folks we live and work with, as we see on page one seventy two, right? Um, why is vocation essential to understanding good works? So I guess to start with, because that's, that's kind of a big question, but yeah. um, to start with, what does he say about how American Christianity views good works? What do they see good works as? Salvation. Salvation, okay, yeah, but what are the what is what is what does that look like? Like what if someone um, when you think of someone doing a good work, typically you know in church or, or you know as a Christian or whatever, what do you typically think of them doing? Helping
4: someone. Helping
0: someone, I mean, usually you hear about you know oh, so and so is going on a mission trip to South America. You know, they're going to go over to Africa and dig wells for the people in this uh, community and, 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 you know, so they can get water. That's all good. That is, those are good works. But what happens, what does he say what happens with that? When you only see good works as like going above and beyond to go to faraway lands to help other people on a mission trip. What happens when you see that as like the, the good work to do? What happens?
2: You gotta go someplace else and not not look at your own family. What you can do there,
0: because that's a vocation. Yeah, that's 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 what can happen, and oftentimes does happen. Mm-hmm. Is that although it is good to go to South America and it's good to go to these impoverished places and show God's love and 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 you know help them, you know make make quilts, send them off to people who need them, you know put together school bags and things like that. And uh, do like, you know, what is it, Um, you know, whatever the Samaritan's Purse does and stuff like that. You know, send these things off to faraway lands to people who, you know, need help. That's good. But if that's all you do, you're missing out. It's one of those things of like, you know, you're just missing out because what do you do on a daily basis? I mean, I I know what I do. Uh, You know, I change diapers, you know. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure that Amelia changes more than I do, but I, sometimes I, share, I, I change my fair share of diapers. And, you know, I, I pick boogers and I, you know, and I, and I clean up and I do all these things like that, you know, and I, and I, I scratch my wife's back and, you know, help, and help her out with the dishes and things like that. But, but if I say, oh, these, are, these, these are no good. You know what I need to do? I need to go to Brazil or I need to go to Guatemala because that's where the good work's being done. You know, you kind of, you lose sight of the the small things that God has put right in front of you to do, right? So yeah, when you have a vocation, so that's that's why it says, why is vocation essential to understanding good works? On one side, you have the folks who will say, you know, we're going to go off and we're going to do this big mission trip. I went on them, you know, I, I didn't go to like any foreign country, but we would go to, you know, um, we went to like Mississippi and Wisconsin and and you know places that were, um, places that were um, socioeconomically depressed. You 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 could say, and we would like fix their houses up a little bit. We would we would um, replace siding and paint and whatever sort of stuff you know, and we would help people out that way. And we would have devotions and we would have people join us with devotions, and and that's all good and well. But it's like, if that's if that's all you're teaching, you know, primarily kids, if you say kids that like, this is a good work, and you don't emphasize the other side of it, you leave it out. And then they might start to wonder, well, It's just like, well, why should I get married? Why should I have kids? Why should I, like, how can I live my life pleasing God, if what really is a good thing to do is to go off and do mission trips, you know. How can I please God where I am today? How can I please God, you know, in the regular stuff? I mean, after reading this chapter, I went home and I was just like, honey, what can I do for you? you know, How can I help? Or just to think to myself, you know what, I should really, like, I should really pay attention to what I do on a daily basis because that's, and that matters, right? That really matters. Um, so, Vocation is essential to understanding good works, um, I mean, because everybody's got their job to do, right? Everybody's got their love to give in a certain way, right? As a, as a parent, as a spouse, uh, even as a child, you know, to their parents, you've got a job. You've got, you've got a way to show God's love uh, through where he's placed you, in your specific place. Yeah? Yeah? Any thoughts on that?
2: I think my vocation has changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wife, caregiver, Mm -hmm. and then my daughter coming, caring for her. And it has affected every uh, interaction with these people. Uh, And there are times when I think the well, selfish myself. Do I? Don't I have some rights? <laughs> and now I've reached the single stage, where I don't have the 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 spouse. Of course, I've I my daughter, mm-hmm. and so it hasn't it it, it changes. Mm-hmm. And that vocation, as you see yourself, mm-hmm. you can okay now how can God how can I show his love and
0: help these people yeah yeah, yeah. how can I be a good uh, how can I be a good citizen in my community in my country in my state right how can i how can I support good things happening all around me um, how can I show God's love to my own family and things like that yeah. Uh, and uh, for me,
2: at first, I for Kathy, I just said, take the car and go. You go to your church and do your thing. Huh. Now, they've invited me and I've joined, uh, attend the class with them. Huh. And uh, <laughs> the teacher, he, I don't, I back off, I don't say a lot, but then when something comes up and I do, she, she's very happy to allow me to talk. So, I think God is using even this, going yeah. to the church with her and going to the, hearing their teaching. I'm yeah. exposed to it now okay. mm-hmm. in a new way.
4: We're, we're witnesses. Yeah. Um, yeah. I and mean, then, like Comrade was saying, they travel a lot of places and, you know, the seeds or spread around, <laughs> and and you just
0: kind of take root wherever you are. And yeah. Yeah. I mean,
4: you experienced a little of that. Too.
0: Yeah, y'all y'all been to a lot of different places. Uh, y'all you out in Colorado. You went to Trinidad and Tobago, right? Um, Barbados. Barbados. Okay, Barbados. Mm-hmm. So yeah, y'all been a little been all over the place in some ways. So yeah, you get a little experiences everywhere else, and that was you being a good, uh, a good employee, and wherever you yeah. were, you were also called to be a good husband and a good wife. You know,
4: yeah. One of the guys that worked in my office there, his name is Martin Luther Haynes, and I think I asked <laughs> you about, about uh, Moravians. Oh yeah, the Moravians. Because yeah, because he he had studied Moravians, and he became a. a a pastor, but he had a little bitty church there on his own property. Yeah. I went on Sunday to yeah. worship with him. Yeah, and it was you know, there was probably five or six people. Yeah, but that's
0: interesting. You know, it, it was uh, Christian, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. The Moravians were like the Bohemians back in they were in Bohemia, like if you've heard of uh John Huss. He was yeah, yeah. You told me that. Yeah, John or Jan Hus was uh, a Bohemian reformer. Of, you know, um, uh, several generations before Luther, and he and and um, the people who followed him were called Hussites, and uh, he. He did a lot of the same things that Luther did because he was a priest, and he said we we need to read the scriptures, we need to have the scriptures in the common language so people can read them, and then the the Pope in Rome said, um, well, um, how about how about you come to Rome and we'll talk about it, and he went to Rome and they burned him at the stake, you know. So uh, and so Luther learned from. Not to go to Rome if he could help <laughs> Yeah. So you know, he had
4: mentioned to me that Pastor, he says, Yeah, Moravians are kind of like
0: Lutherans. Kind of, yeah. I I've never heard of him. Actually, you know, our prayer, our prayer, Come Lord Jesus be our guest, like that's a Moravian prayer, actually. Wow. It, well, came, it came from a Moravian ch- uh, church, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, kind of interesting. We're very close in a lot of ways. Um, I don't I don't know if they've ever fully subscribed to our confessions, but, I mean, we have the same roots. So, yeah. Yeah. Kind of interesting. Um, so, uh, yeah, vocation is essential. And I think that's a, that's a distinctly Lutheran thing, too. Um, and I've heard it. I'm glad I've been hearing these resurgence in that understanding of vocation because... Even now, I don't. I don't know if he's still. I don't know if he's still in charge of uh, the stewardship for the synod. Uh, but Pastor Heath Curtis, um, he for for a while there, whenever he would talk about stewardship, he would say, "Whenever you talk about um, stewardship with people in their church, you know, you, you hear a lot about stewardship, stewardship, stewardship. How are you going to take care of the church? How are you going to?" do he said, I'm going to talk to you about your vocation. What's your vocation as a Christian, right? Is it to make sure that you have a place to gather as the people of God, to hear his word and to be given his gifts? Is it your is it part of your vocation as a good father and a good mother to bring your kids to church, you know, and teach them how to be good Christians, that sort of thing, right? Which involves supporting your church in your times, talents, and treasures, and things like that. So I thought it was really nice he shifted the focus to vocation. What are you called to do specifically where you are? Because if you talk about stewardship, people think, oh, you're talking about money? Mm -hmm. Or you're talking about, yeah, primarily money or ability to go and work around the church and fix things up. And it's just like, well, I mean, not everybody's given the skill. Not everybody's given the blessings of wealth to be able to provide as much as they would like or what the church might need or whatever. But when you're called in your vocation as a Christian, I mean, that's all part of being a cheerful giver, right? It's all part of understanding how much the Lord has blessed you and, you know, going ap- going according to those guidelines and the um, the mandates of the, like even like the 10% tithe, because your 10% is not going to be as big as someone else's or someone else's is not going to be as big as yours, but it's in proportion to what God has blessed you with, and that's a good place to start. Right? And that's a part of your Christian vocation. You know, so it's like, vocation helps to kind of explain things really well in a different way so that we can understand, like, even the mundane stuff in life that we would say is mundane is really a holy thing before God when we do it in faith. You know? When we're, you know, um, a faithful friend, when we're A faithful spouse, uh, son, daughter, you know, uh, parent, whatever. And doing those things in faith toward God, I mean, God smiles upon it. He loves it. It's fantastic. It's just as good, probably, I would maybe even say, maybe even better to to focus on those things than to focus on going to a faraway land for a couple weeks to do a mission trip, you know. Um, Not that that's bad, but it's like, do that. Do that after you've taken care of your household. You know, do that with your household because you're all doing the things that you need to be doing in faith. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And nobody's perfect. That's why we are Christians and we uh, live with in the ministry of, of reconciliation. right? So he talks about that. What happens when you fail or you sin in your vocation you know if like uh, a father punishes too harshly or a you know wife is not submissive where she should be or the the husband is too domineering you know or something like that right when or the child is disobedient it creates a lot of damage so we we be careful but we also um we also rely on god's grace and and if we do transgress. We ask for forgiveness, right? We're Christians. That's all part of it. Yeah, we're not perfect. So, vocation is essential to understanding good works. So, when we also look at this chapter, he brings up, um, let me see here, Well, first of all, do y'all have any questions? Do y'all have any more comments about vocation? Um I, I loved how he said on 174, he said, um, all of us have multiple vocations. Part of the fun and trouble of this life is sorting out what each vocation means at different times. It's the second to last paragraph on 174. It says, I'm always a Christian, always a husband, always a father and child, always a pastor, always a, a citizen, but these different vocations mean different things at different times. Sometimes I'm preaching, sometimes I'm mowing the grass, sometimes I'm praying, sometimes I'm reading a book to the kids, and this moving in and out of the obligations of my vocations is the good stuff. The adventure of a Christian life, the adventure of a Christian life in this world. Next to the gospel, the doctrine of vocation gives us the confidence, boldness, and freedom to live and love and serve our neighbor. So you have any thoughts about that? Does does that kind of help you all kind of see how the day today is actually a blessing and how you can be one too?
3: For sure, when I was raising, when we were raising, when I was doing the mothering uh, 40 years ago, Thirty-nine years ago, 40 years ago. <laughs> um, there was the big push. You know that you you need you need a job. You know you you oh. you're not you're not bringing anything in. You're not <laughs> you know you're not contributing to anything. And it uh, you know, uh, <laughs> oh, was so much. You know, there's so much that you're you're doing. Yeah, I mean that is. A mission field. Oh, uh-huh. um, Taming the wild beast, you know, and yeah, and, and, and raising, bringing
0: Christians into the world, yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, that, you know, uh, I, I fight with my feminist friends all the time. I, I said, you know, the feminism destroyed what God meant us to be. Uh, um, it, he, he it it denigrates women mm. into being mm. Mm. being like men that want to cat around or something like that. Mm. You know, you have the freedom to do this. You have the right to do this. Well, baloney. That's not what you're. <laughs> that's not yeah. what you're. Uh, what you're called to be or anything like that.
0: Yeah. Oh well, you know. So I don't talk about
3: that too much with other <laughs> yeah, people. But you know that it, it, <clears throat> there there's um. Uh, even mm-hmm. though know, you're married and you have a spouse, I, I think about these young women that that uh, don't have a husband for one reason or another and trying to do this alone. It's a lonely time. Yeah. It's a lonely task. And and but but when he talks about you know doing these works, good works in our immediate vocation in our in our family and whatnot
0: that it brings him joy and and glory and uh. yeah yeah I mean he talks about how there's the three estates right the family the state and the church Um, and uh, you know depending on how you put the order I've I've, I've talked about that before right that it's kind of interesting that women women who are single mothers right they have a hard job Mm -hmm. Uh, and really they are this is going to sound condescending, so color me condescending, but they're to be pitied. It's very sad. Um, in fact, I kind of wish we had the same language of uh, uh, the TLH in the general prayer that we have in the church, when instead of talking about orphans, it talks about fatherless children, right? That's really sad, to have a kid who grows up without a father. Um, but it's interesting, though, you have the three estates that while the child doesn't have a father in the home, somebody fills that role. Oftentimes, you know who fills that role? It's not mama. It's the government. The government becomes the father, right? They help them out in some way or whatever, or the dad just becomes a paycheck, you know, a child support check or something like that. It's totally not what God intended for it to be. And it's very sad because it's broken. It's broken broken it's broken and it's uh you know people who are married and have you know husband wife kids doesn't mean they're perfect right doesn't mean it's easy you know uh it means that it's a different kind of struggle but it's at least the struggle that God has ordained for people to you know engage in but it's it's very sad because um that uh Sometimes you see, yeah, moms who can't help it, but they have to go work uh, to help support the family or help pay the bills or whatever. And it's very sad um, when they have to put their kids in daycare. Um, Sometimes it's what they have to do. What I think is even more sad is when they, we were talking about this earlier. (laughs) We were talking about this, how it's like, what's even more sad is that, you know, parents who could stay home you know the moms who could stay home with their kids they just don't want to they send them off or whatever it's like i don't know it's it's just i think that's even that's just as sad and people will say well pastor not everybody has the same situation i say you know what that's right Not everybody does It's, it's it's depending on different people's places and times and circumstances you have to but i mean the best thing for those kids is for mom to be home if they can help it you know Um, but God understands if you have to go work, it's just, it's really sad. Um, because you're missing out on your vocation as a mom or, you know, uh, moms can raise the kids on some level better than dads can. And so it's better that dad goes to work. If he has to work two jobs to support the family, you know, that's what's got to be done. Um, but, uh, I, I, and, and that's such a, I have to be honest with you. It's a weird thing for me to say. Uh, I'm really uncomfortable saying even that because the culture around me has preached the exact opposite mm-hmm. for so long. Since the 50s. Yeah, for so long. The, the, the cult, so, so like I am a product of my culture as well. So I naturally want to say, well, well, it's okay. It's okay. But then you really think about it. It's like, well, it's... To be, to, to be charitable and gentle, you just have to say, well, it's not the best it's not the best thing you could do. Um, and it's actually very sad because well actually you know what now I think was it someone in Sunday school was saying about how now you're hearing a lot of women are actually stay at home with their kids. They're actually want to be stay at home moms because they they realize that you don't get to always have them the way that they are. And that you miss out you miss out big time and you never get that time back. Um, and so that's why it's, it's sad when moms have to work and it's sad when they have to do these things because they miss out on those things and you never really get that time back. So, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's hard to talk about because it is so affecting, you know, it affects people so strongly. Um, and you don't want to guilt people. <laughs> you don't want to guilt people into doing these things, but to help show them, hopefully, hey, this is a great way to do it. Oh man, I wish you could. You know, if you can, please try, you know, have your moms be stay-at-home moms. And, but then you get the culture, like you said, some, sometimes people will say, just like, so what do you do? I'm a stay-at-home mom. Oh, so you don't work.
3: <laughs> their eyes blaze over and they yeah. want to
0: both talk to somebody else. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, well 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 so and so she's got a real job. Something like that. And and I just wanna be like, Oh, Lord have mercy. All right. Uh, no, she does work. She's really hard. She works really hard. Um like my wife is working really hard uh, dealing with a you know, Charlotte's very sweet when she's around y'all, but sometimes she gets a little cranky. No. And, uh, no. no is she a little silly? <laughs> sometimes she gets a little cranky and sometimes she yells and screams and whines and pouts and uh, that's really tough to do when you're about to give birth to a little boy in a couple days, you know? So Amelia's working pretty hard right now. <laughs> she's working hard in her vocation, <laughs> you know? So yeah. Um, yeah. So I I also really liked how he said, you know, that, uh, the doctrine of vocation, the various vocations of the Christian, is the masks of God. Right? It's the different ways, like through our vocations, God cares for the world and the things in it. That through us, we take care of each other. We show God's love in the even most mundane things. You know, uh, loading the dishwasher, changing a diaper. You know, saying "I love you." You know, um, buying buying groceries or whatever. You know that that's a way that God works through us in the most what seems like the most mundane things. And sadly, that's another thing to go back to it being being a mom or being a dad. You know, being being a parent, being a spouse. Those things are right now they're they're despised by the world. The world doesn't care. You know, um, it's really sad, really sad. Any thoughts on that before we move on? We can go on all day about that. But any thoughts?
3: You, you said the mundane things. I just think about you know a, a kind word to somebody who's having uh, a bad day at work, or or not adding to
0: their <laughs> their burden. just yeah.
3: smile. Just smile at somebody. Yes, yeah. it's, it's amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Simple things. Very simple. Seemingly mundane. You don't think that it's going to make a difference, but it really does. It makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. All right, how about number three? We're we'll move on to worship, okay? Worship is being served by Jesus. You see on page 176, right? Um, it's about God's work and word, his speaking and giving. How does that challenge us, and how does it change American Christianity? So let's start with the challenge. How does that idea that notion uh, of worship is being served by Jesus, challenge us. What do y'all think? (coughs) Pay no attention to what I'm writing on the board.
4: I think a lot of us when we're in church we're, if we're doing worship we're thinking we're worshiping Jesus
0: and we forget that he's serving us mm-hmm. so yeah how does that challenge you a little bit though because um, yeah I, I, I guess how does, how does that change things if if you're serving Jesus or if you're worshiping him and you're singing praise and thanks to him, I mean, if it's all then then what is it all about? It comes back. To yeah, me. it's all about what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. But when Jesus is serving you, right? As we say in the Lutheran Church Gottesdienst that that is, you know, God's service, divine service. Not that we are doing a divine service. But who is divine? God, right? He is the one serving us. Then it all goes to what he is doing, right? It's all about what he is providing for us, not what we are doing for him, right? So it flips the script, right? Changes things up. So how does that challenge American Christianity? What what does American Christianity say about worship? What does he say about that?
4: What we do and what we feel.
0: Yeah, what, what we do, what we feel. Um, I, I think I, I spoke. I spoke to a gentleman about a month or a couple months ago. I can't remember, but um, I was talking to him about you know how his wife is a part of like the praise band and things like that at their church, and he's and he was like that kind of bothers me a little bit. And he couldn't exactly explain why that bothered him, but we were talking about it, and um, uh, he said the thing though is that it's really tough to talk to her about it because she feels like she feels like just to be in the pew is not enough, right? To be in the in the congregation is not enough. That for her to be on stage and singing and being a part of the praise band is what is really important that it's really going above and beyond. And that's her service in some ways, that's her doing something. And I was just like, okay, all right. I kind of see, kind of see what you're getting at here. Right. Um, I saw that as an issue. I don't think he saw that as the issue, but I saw that as kind of an issue of saying, well, I mean, so what about the folks who are in the pews? I mean, is that not, is that not as important, you know? I mean, that could be that could not be the case. But I gotta ask the question. You know, it doesn't hurt to ask that question. It's like, what about those folks who can't sing as nicely? Is that not as good? I'm, I'm just I'm just asking the question, right? I'm not trying to accuse anybody that that's how they see it. But it's like sometimes we get a little a little wrapped up, and and those people in the pews can look at people on stage and say, "I'll never be that good." I can never serve God the but way that they do. not
1: even thinking about the service right. or anything. Yeah. They're thinking about themselves. Yeah, yeah, right. And that's
4: good.
0: That's and a good the, point. The yeah.
1: lady up there singing, it's like, look at me, look at me. <laughs> but, um, this
0: maybe. One, that's,
4: that's the way I look at
0: maybe, it. Maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe that's the case. I, I, mean, I, don't know. I, I
4: was yeah. thinking something different. Maybe yeah, okay. She thought, these are gifts God gave me I need to share. Yeah, maybe,
0: maybe. Yeah. And that's, a, that's yeah. a good charitable way to view it. Yeah, for sure. But it's, 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 it's one of those things of, like, you know, um, when it's when it's the good gifts that God has given you to, you know, sing and to do these things like that, um, I don't know, how you do things matters, I believe. Uh, but also, it's very interesting when you see worship in American Christianity, it turns in, you know, it, it, there's the danger. I'll just say that. There's the danger of it really being, you know, there's a lot of temptation there of saying someone who's on stage, who at one point is thinking, this is my gift to you know God. this is He has given me this gift. I'm sharing it with other people to sing praise and thanks to his name. That's a good thing. But there's the temptation. There's the temptation there to say, oh, well, this is my service and these people are just privileged to hear it or something like that. You know, there's a temptation there to say these things. And there's also the temptation to say, you know, who's really serving who? This is my service to God. You know, this is, this is what I'm doing. And so then, it, like I said, it, can, it puts you back on that pendulum. Pride, despair, pride or despair. And you can swing to pride. And then the people in the pews or, you know, in a lot of these churches, they don't have pews. But, you know, people out in the congregation, they'll say, you know, they'll say, like, I can never serve God the way that they do with their voice. So they have despair. So they have despair. They're swinging on that pendulum again, you know. So it's not that we don't want beautiful voices in church, (laughs) you know. It's not that we don't love singing, right. It's not that we don't sing thanks and praise to God for what he's done. But when it comes to worship, you know, divine service, I think he puts it really well. He says, uh, page 176, he says... um, American Christianity Worship. Um, Oh. um, um, He says, In American Christianity, worship is a perfect fusion of moralism and mysticism. My actions and attitudes, with a little help from the praise band, were inducing a worship experience, quote unquote, right? God was close. I could feel it at least most of the time. There were Holy Spirit goosebumps, the sensation of being lost like a drop in the ocean, hands and voice raised in surrender, and offering myself to God. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down. Sing like never before, O oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name. And then the, pra- the praise song itself is understood as the sacrifice of praise offered in the Christian heart to God. Right? So... Um, And and this little next thing in the brackets there that was that was imported from a previous chapter. Remember that that American Christianity's desire for something new, exciting, and entertaining stands behind the adjective contemporary, which is stuck like a leech to the word worship. Right? That that's it's got to be new. It's got to be exciting. It's just like I I think it's kind of funny because it's like when it's like we need contemporary music in our churches. It's like. I'll pull out a hymnal. There are people who wrote hymns that are still alive. Is that contemporary enough for you? I mean, that's a joke. But, you know, it's, <laughs> there are people who are still alive that have written some of the hymns in our books. Um, but it's like, what is, what is what does it mean to be contemporary? What is, you know, what's the draw of being new, exciting? Um, you know, it's one of these things, like, it get, some people boil it down to, like, uh, taste and things like that. But I... There's a difference between reverence and um, irreverence, I guess you could say. Not necessarily that it's desecration, but it's one of these things. It's like uh, for for thousands of years, there's been like there have been things where there have been churches that feel like church, and when they try to make church not feel like church, I I kind of wonder where I'm at. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and there are people I've I've even heard this before. It, it's anecdotal. I don't know if you can do a study on it, which is I don't even know if we as a church should live by studies, you know, but um, I've heard it anecdotally that even, even unbelievers or people who are agnostic, they're more comfortable in a more traditional church than they are in a contemporary church service, you know, because they'll say, feels like church, right? You got... You got the organ. You got the you. You have the readings. You have the uh, the structure. That sort of thing feels like church. Feels like church to me. You know, as opposed to not really knowing what's going on during the service because everything's kind of different every Sunday. There's 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 a flow, but you don't really know what's coming next. Sort of thing. It's a little people are kind of kept on edge. So I mean, I'm bringing all this stuff up, but all it boils down to is that. The common thing um, in American Christianity is that we are the ones acting, praying, singing, praising. We are the givers, and God is the getter. Right? It's what he says in in on page 176. But he says when we can cons- when, skip when we consider the scriptures, a different picture comes forth, right? The Bible has a different theology of worship. That rather than our service to Jesus, the Bible teaches that Jesus serves us. He's the one doing these things, um, and he talks about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Right? I thought that was great. How Peter makes two errors, right? <laughs> oh, Peter, I mean, you gotta you gotta hand it to him. He's bold. You know, he 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 puts it out there. At least at least I can say that for Peter is that is that he really speaks his mind, right? Um, and he's a good example because. I mean, he's like us, right? Um, That he said that that when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, washing someone's feet is a miserably humble job. It was slaves' work, but here's Jesus washing the feet of his followers, right? And then um, Peter objects first that Jesus is serving him, and second, he tries to tell Jesus how best to serve him, right? (laughs) That on one hand, Peter says... Uh, Lord, you should not wash my feet. And then Jesus says, um, he says, basically, if what I'm doing, you, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And then I love that. He said at the bottom of page 177, it's as if Jesus is saying, Peter, if you think washing feet is humiliating, just wait until tomorrow. If you think that it is horrible that I am here wrapped in a towel, wait until tomorrow when I'm stripped and hung on the cross for all to see. If you think pouring water is too lowly for me, wait until tomorrow when I pour out my blood. If you are troubled by the humility of my washing your feet, you will be appalled at my dying for your sins. Jesus has an even greater humiliation coming. The humility of washing feet is only a prelude to the great humiliation of the cross. Right? So he is serving, Peter says, no, Lord, I should be serving you. But Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve, right? But then there's the opposite. So that's, on some of the, I guess. I guess you could call that despair, right? Peter's swinging back and forth on that pendulum of pride and despair. That's despair of himself. He's like, Lord, no, I should be doing these things, right? And Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm going to serve you right now. But then Peter hears that and says, like, all right, then, Lord, then this is how you should do it. Right? Not just my hands, like, not just my feet, but my entire body, basically, right? Um, he says, uh, he says um, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. That's on page 178, right, from John 13. Peter's saying, if you're going to serve me, this is what I need then. And it says, the more the better, right? Peter thinks that if Jesus is going to serve him, then Peter will be the master. Peter will give instructions to Jesus. Peter will tell Jesus what he needs. This is the Christian who would dictate to Jesus the things he needs for this life, the things that would make him happy. I'd probably say that's more what they want over what they need, right? Yeah. But this is, this is the error of the church that decides what Jesus should give to it. This is wrong. Jesus, this is, I love this distinction. Jesus is not a servant he is the master who serves, right? Because he is the master, he will determine what we need. Yeah, I love that. Jesus said to him, "The one who has been, the one who has bathed, does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean." So Jesus serves us not according to what we want; he gives us what he knows we need. Right? I love that. I mean, so. Um, any, any thoughts about that? Any um, any uh, questions about that? Comments? I want to make sure you all have enough time to add to this if you'd like. Just an understanding.
3: Uh, maybe it's word semantics. I don't know, but... Um, so so many of the people that I that I know um, are they're church shopping or they're you know, they're they're looking to get something. They oh he's a good preacher. He can give us give us a good word. Hmm. But but okay. and, and and I say no. I go to worship Almighty God. So that's me giving rather than receiving. Although I, in worship I do receive. But it, there's a conundrum there because. In yeah. in a sense, um, if they were if they were seeking the right thing that and knowing that, that Jesus is is the master who serves, yeah, they wouldn't be looking for the experience or what I don't know. I can't I can't quite get up my mind around. Yeah, so so I guess
0: I guess it kind of it kind of goes back. Also, you know, like he said, it's a combination of moralism and mysticism that mystical feeling that something's happening during the service, you know? Um, and I think he said that, remember how he said in the previous chapter how he went to Lutheran a Lutheran divine service for the first time in a long time, and he said, I just didn't feel the spirit there. The Holy Spirit wasn't there because I didn't feel it, right? Um, and so uh, it's, it's, it's that mystical feeling as opposed to just saying, no, the word was preached. I mean, maybe it wasn't preached in the way that I would have necessarily liked all that much, but the word was preached, the Holy Spirit was active because the word was there, you know, and the sacraments were given. And, and, and I think that, is, that, that can be kind of a conundrum because we need to understand that um, worship, if worship biblically is divine service, if it is God serving us, we as people do make a sacrifice, okay? Our sacrifice is our thanks and praise, right? But that's only because God is the one who acts first. See what I'm saying? That we, <clears throat> I've heard it put this way too, that, and and, and Pastor Wolf Miller doesn't say it in this chapter, but, um, you know, I think I've said this before, and you can probably see that like American Christianity sees worship uh, sees worship as um, more of like an M that it starts with us calling God down, you know, to worship that sort of thing, and then and then God's up here and He comes down and gives us blessings, and then we call we give Him thanks and praise, and then He gives us. I think I think that's how that works. I I always forget because then Lutheran worship, I believe, um, uh, is more of a W because it begins with God serving us, and then you know it's more it's more like that that God is up here. He gives us His Word. That whenever you hear someone say, you know. Um, it, it, it's kind of irksome to me. I know I'm being nitpicky, right? I admit it. You're going to think you're gonna that I'm being too harsh and that I'm just too much of a stickler for this, that, or the other. But I, I get a little rubbed the wrong way when, when I hear pastors say, we make our beginning in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I, I was taught in the seminary. My liturgics professor was like, we don't make our beginning in anything, right? That's why simply in the book it says, it says, and this is always really tough for me because I always stutter with vowels, but it just says, in the name name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That is the word of Jesus coming down to us, given in Matthew 28, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? That is God's word coming down to us. And then, you know, um, we say... We say amen, which means yes, yes, this is so, right? And so it's just like it begins with God, and then and then it all like, but it it doesn't begin with us. And I guess I, I think I think I don't know if it works well with the W, but definitely this works well here, right? Who does it begin with, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, it's just like it begins with me with the M motion of worship, where us to God and call. Calling God down, you know, rain down your grace upon us, kind of thing. Uh, You know, it's bothersome. It's bothersome because that's not how God works. It's not how He promises, right? He comes down to us. Um, That sort of thing. So He gives, uh, that's how it works. So with the W, right? Lutheran worship, um, you go here. So God brings, God sends His word down right? And we have the readings and uh, the confession uh, of our um, faith in the Nicene Creed and everything like that. And then uh, we give him thanks and praise for these things. Thanks be to God, right? And then he comes back down again with his word and the sacrament, you know, Um, and then we give him thanks and praise and that's it. (laughs) You know, it's like, that's it. It begins and it ends with God, and the other way, it begins and it ends with me. Right?
4: We, we went, the last two churches we've gone to that were not Lutheran were exactly what you said up there. There was no absolution. no oh, really? Bitterness. Oh, when yeah. Did we do that. That was. Uh, <laughs> we were in a Lutheran church, not in Missouri Synod, but that was the same thing. No absolution, no confession. No, well, we did go to That's three days. Because we did go. To the loop where Bethany doesn't do absolution in their contemporaries. Well, service. Well, in the contemporary they don't no And in service. the cowboy church, we went to. No. Where, yeah. They had no absolution. Yeah.
1: We weren't members. We just. yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
4: it's
0: okay,
1: <laughs> Diane.
0: It's okay. You can visit other churches. It's okay. I know we went to. Bethany. It's not the Inquisition.
4: I'm at the <laughs> stood
0: about two years ago. Yeah. Oh standing, yeah, yeah. It was the same thing. Yeah, no absolution. Yeah, yeah. So, and um, yeah. So it's one of those things where, um, or here I'll say this. Uh, I'll say that. How about that? Biblical worship as opposed to Lutheran worship. We just we just agree with the Bible. That's really all we do. Um, that's how the Bible works. I think yeah. you
2: could, with the W there, start at the top. God, yeah. Lower, coming down is confession. Going up, you get the absolution.
0: I'd say. I mean, it, I've I've seen it explained different ways. I I think it's more of, I think it is God coming down with uh with his, with his word uh, with his name really. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And then down here we are confessing confessing our sins. I mean really it it has that flow, the general flow of the service. It begins and ends with God. It has probably several ups and downs between us and God, but it begins and ends with God. It can probably keep on going a little bit depending on how much you explain the service. So yeah, we confess our sins unto God our Father. He sends the absolution through Jesus Christ. We give him thanks and praise. He sends his word down and we read the word and we hear the word and the word is proclaimed. We give him thanks and praise for that, right? Um, so, yes. Uh, yeah, you can you can just kind of keep going up and down. Or down and up and down and up and down and up. Not up and down. I think one of the...
2: Uh, I, I see going to... Uh, the American and Christian worship, what I've observed by going with Kathy, mm-hmm. is uh, repeating something and getting emotional about it and... The praise, the the song leaders will repeat, and everybody joins in. And I, the the beauty of our hymns. Yeah. I guess maybe it's just hit me in the last eight months, since the Lord took my husband home. I see all of this, every verse, every hymn has something about eternity, or but we're spending time with him. And it, you don't get that, any of that, with Christian worship. Just <laughs> no. Getting yeah. excited and... Very instructional. I think, you know, I'm, I'm laughing. It's nervous laughter, because, you know, it's one of
0: those things, it's like, oh man, like, like I said, they're missing out. Yeah. You know, they're missing out. Um, I'm trying to make this as positive as I can here because they're missing out because um, yeah you see that um, again you're gonna think I'm 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 that I'm nitpicking or whatever, but I mean when 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 you really think about it, yeah, I I'll say this, okay. Folks in American Christianity, right, and in, in a lot of the things that what Pastor Wolf Mueller is saying, um, In American Christianity, they are calling upon the one true God, okay? I, you know, wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that until, unless they said something else, Mm -hmm. right? I wouldn't doubt that unless, unless, well, and and then you have to flesh out what people believe. Like, you know, there's even oneness Pentecostals, I wouldn't necessarily say are Orthodox Christians, because when I say oneness Pentecostals, they don't believe in the Trinity as it's been historically um, Confessed, right? So you got to be careful Even if somebody says they're a Christian, you got to really kind of test the spirits and find out if they really are or not But when you look at American Christianity like general evangelical worship Again, you're gonna think I'm being nitpicky here or I'm being too harsh, but the way this works is exactly the way that pagan worship happens. Sorry, but, I mean, they're calling on the one true God, but they're calling on him in a way that he never wanted to be called on. They're invoking him to come down. They're entreating him to come down. Think of of, um, the prophets of Baal and the prophet Elijah, and how they were doing all these things and saying, Baal, come down and do the... And they were cutting themselves and doing all this stuff, doing all that they could to entreat their God to come down and do what they needed him to do. In some ways, that's kind of what happens in American Christian. I mean, benefit of the doubt, that's just how we are as fallen humanity. That's how fallen humanity thinks that worship happens, that we entreat the gods to come down, or we entreat God to come and bless us because of are because of what we say, because of what we do, right? That's a natural thing as fallen sinners. That's what we want to do. And, 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 and even in biblical worship, what we try to do as Lutherans, what we try to be faithful to in the scriptures about how we worship, we are even tempted to do the same thing, right? We are tempted to do the same thing, thinking that we are the ones calling God down. God is blessing us because we do something good or whatever, right? We are tempted. We are not excluded from that because we're sinners, right? So what I'm trying to say is that uh, um, as Christians, when we try and do the biblical form of, the biblical flow of worship, right, um, we are doing it according to God's word, uh, according to how he has revealed himself to be, Right? That he serves us and we don't serve him. I mean, the pagans believe that, that we serve the gods. Right? So, again, that's probably a way you've never thought about it before. Um, And I don't necessarily want you to go to a non-denominational person and say, you know that basically you're pagan, right? I don't want you to say that, okay? I don't want you to go there and have that conversation. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, Pastor Bovinghaus in the Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas, said that you're a pagan because of the way that you worship. No, no, no. No, no, no. What I'm saying is that the form of their worship is, is, is not the way that God really intends for it to be. That's all I'm saying. And, and it's not that they're calling on the wrong God. It's just that they're missing out on God being the one who serves them, right, as opposed to the other way around. And it's not that God won't bless them. Uh, but I gotta, I gotta wonder, like, how, what exactly is the benefit of doing it the way where it begins with us, right? Mm-hmm. Eventually, it could lead you down the path you do not want to go, right? So, any, any thoughts or questions about this?
3: Isn't it a hallmark of of the devil to turn things upside down? That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> Just well, saying.
0: we'll see you next time when you come back. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, no. it's funny. No, you're right. His 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 uh, his goal is to flip everything upside down to invert it on its head. But they're yeah. gonna
4: feel good. <laughs> yeah,
0: but, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, he I'm says good. he says something about that, right? He says in the book, right, that that um, that isn't it interesting that um, that when we when we focus our emotions, I can't remember where exactly he says this, and if you don't find it, let me know. But when he talks about our feelings driving our uh, faith, that it's ironic that when we engage in biblical worship, in faithful worship, the way that he has called us to do, our emotions are actually affected in a good way, right? <laughs> that our, that are are uh, That the way we feel is is, um, uh, is what is it, the way that we feel is uh, subservient to God's word, that we don't just feel good because someone gave us a good word of encouragement, but we feel good because our sins are forgiven. We feel good because we have God's peace, right, and salvation. That's what makes us feel good, not because the music was good, Right. Not because um, I was really moved when the lights changed a certain way and the guitar came in with the drums. You know, Um, I was moved because God died for me in Jesus Christ. The son of God died for me and I am free from my sin and my emotions. Tag along. Right. I feel great because of that. You know, and that's that. I bring up that story about someone's like, "Well, we want people to feel good when they leave church." And my question is, what are you doing that makes them feel good, right? Uh, you know, are they feeling good because you know um, you gave them a nice breakfast beforehand, and and you know, it's like <laughs> that affects the way you feel, you know. But do they feel good because they know their sins are forgiven, right? Um. So it's it's just all these things go and, and, and you know. Pastor Wolf good at simplifying things. I'm good at complicating them. So if you need, if you have any questions or anything, uh, you know, comments about this, you know, it's, it's, I'm open to it. Do you have any thoughts about this? Hmm? No. Good. <laughs> yeah. So, uh yeah.
1: But sometimes when we sing these hymns,
0: I know that
1: hymn six twenty-nine that we sang during communion Sunday.
0: What bread is this? What, what is this bread? bread yeah. This bread?
1: Mm-hmm. Man.
0: <laughs> I got
1: tears in my eyes when I was singing <laughs> that. Yeah. That hit me hard. I was not hit me hard, but yeah. it just woke me up. You yeah. Know? I mean, it just it was wonderful. And and so I, I And like Audrey was saying, you know, you you sing these hymns and you have to really concentrate on what these hymns are saying. Yeah. And 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 that one just really hit me hard, that six twenty nine. I sang it the other day after I did devotions. I didn't tune, but I tried. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah, it's really
0: good. It's it's a good teaching tool too. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, um, Christ's body risen from the dead. This bread we break. This life we take. Yeah. Um, oh, taste and see. Yeah. The Lord is good. That sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Um, yeah, because your words. Oh, oh. This is another thing I was going to say. Right. Um, it's very interesting. You'll go to other. Um, and I know we're going a little long, but this is kind of. Ho- hopefully, you're finding this kind of enlightening, but. With with American Christian worship, I actually learned this from Pastor Wolfmuller uh, on one of his podcasts that he had, Tabletop Radio. Um, they, I think I've told you this. They have this thing where they have this praise song cruncher, and what it is is that they have this spreadsheet, and and on the on the left column they'll have the name of the song, and then uh, each column will be uh, questions. You know, is Jesus is, is Jesus spoken about? What's said, you know, how many times has he spoken about, you know, all, all these different questions. And they'll just kind of crunch, the, that's why they call it the Praise Psalm Cruncher. And they'll see like, you know, they'll crunch it down to the basics of like, is Jesus talked about, how many times is his name said, what is said about him, all these things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, what they would talk about on that show was that, and Pastor Wolfmuller like laser focus in on this because of his experience, and you're saying it's very interesting that in a lot of praise songs, you know, I think you mentioned like 7-Eleven songs, say the same seven words 11 times, right? It's a joke, you know, a 7-Eleven song. Uh, in, if you want to listen to that on your own time and you get a good, it makes you feel good, it's encouraging for you, that's great. In corporate worship, it gets a little strange because Some of these songs, when they repeat them over and over and over again, these words, these phrases, like, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive, they'll say these over and over and over again. In what other place do you see something like that happening? Y'all ever heard of the word a mantra? Mm -hmm. You know what a mantra is? Uh, If you know like Buddhism, Hinduism, yoga, they have a mantra. And they'll say, you know, it's basically, like, they'll give you a mantra to say, like, you know, health, happiness, peace. If you say that over and over again, health, happiness, peace, health, happiness, peace. Kind of reminds me of that Seinfeld episode, Serenity Now, you know, (laughs) Serenity Now, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, Where It was really funny because the guy who taught George Costanza's dad to say that, he's like, I actually went crazy because I said that. So serenity now, but insanity later, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) It was really, but like a mantra is something you say over and over and over again, and you you get a certain effect that comes out of it. I mean, that's not a Christian thing, though, necessarily, to have a mantra be spoken over and over and over again. We are supposed to take God's word and chew on it, meditate on it, that sort of thing. But a mantra is a completely different idea. A mantra is, like, supposed to be transcendent, you know, but the meditation of God's Word is so that the Word would dwell within you richly, and so therefore it would come forth from you as a result. A mantra is to where you can, like, transcend beyond this reality. And a lot of American Christian worship is about that. It's about, like he said, what did he say? Uh, A lot of it is about, um, you know, Hands raised, it, uh, a worship experience, transcendent, God was close, I could feel it, you know, Holy Spirit goosebumps, um, you know, the sensation of being lost, right, like a drop in the ocean, hands and voice raised in surrender and offering myself to God, you know, that's, that's, that's the intended effect of a mantra and repeating it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, right? Um, and to repeat the same chorus over and, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again.
2: Yeah, it reminds me of um, I, I've said that before when Dave was real sick and before he passed away, that I grieved for him during that time. And when I was really distraught, uh, I think I told you I go to the recliner, and that's my place to, and I would repeat. The offertory created me. Good. Those three verses Good. of the of, uh, Psalm fifty-one. 51. Mm-hmm. They was I using it as a mantra, which I did. The, I don't know. I don't. I don't. Think I would so. think so. Every time, uh, no the time I came through, I focused on something different. It, it would by going over yeah. and over, and uh, try to get away from cast me not away from Thy presence and take not Thy own. Because all of that is in the hymn too. It's it's in the song, and I was y- using that to, to strengthen myself right. and put my focus
0: there. Yes. then On my tears and what I'm having to do. Yes. Yes. And uh, I wouldn't say that's the same thing. I don't think it. I I, I would I, not say that's the same thing. No. I I would say I would say something like when it says mysticism. You know, you're you're when you're in that moment and you're reading God's word, and the Psalms should bring you comfort. He, he even talks about how mm-hmm. the Psalms should provide assurance, comfort. They teach you how to pray, right? That you are entreating God to grant you His grace and to cast me not away from Thy presence and take not Thy Holy Spirit from me, right? Restore unto me the joy of Thy salvation, salvation. right? that that's, that's something that Luther struggled with with the monks. They had kind of a mantra idea. Their, their prayer was all about transcendence and kind of leaving this body, leaving this plane of existence into the heavenly realm. That's what like a mantra is aiming for. And that's what a lot of American Christian worship is aiming for, this transcendent, not necessarily like an out-of-body experience, but something where, um, you know, you're caught up in the sweep of your feelings and, and, and emotional. That. Yeah, but when you're reading the Psalms for comfort, when you're praying God's Word and you're repeating it because it is comforting, that is, that is meditating on the Word of God and letting the mm-hmm. Word of God dwell within you richly. That's something completely different, as opposed to just transcendent, being out of body sort of thing. I understand, but yeah. as we were going through it, I thought, did I? Could I? <laughs> well, test it, you know? I, know. I mean, it's, it's not a bad thing to, 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 to ask yourself, but at the same time, I, I that's not, I wouldn't say that's the same thing. I wouldn't say that's the same thing. Yeah, it's the ahead.
4: Word of God. Yeah. Yes, so the Word of God. Focusing on the Word of God rather than a
0: generic right. term. A right, right. Yeah. Yeah, generic phrase or something that is not the word of God, like a word of encouragement and just ho- focusing on that over, over and over and over and over and over again, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> <You didn't. laughs> I, 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 my professional opinion, I don't think that was a mantra, just so you know. Um, well, it's no. it's just
1: like when we say, um, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, mm-hmm. Lord have mercy, mm-hmm. you know. It's the same thing,
0: mm-hmm. okay. right? Yeah, it's the same thing. It's it's it's. I mean, it's something that's, that's the you word really of God. Constantly. That's you know you you
1: say a petition and then you say that and then you say a petition I'm, and you say. Oh that, yeah, with
0: know. the litany and or with the prayer of the church, uh, Lord in your mercy hear our prayer mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. That's not a mantra, but what I'm what I mean that like a mantra is like that thing where you just say over and over and over again, just like you know. um uh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to connect that to worship and praise songs. You know, that, that it, does, it does create this kind of transcendent experience for people. And that, I think that's the intended purpose. They want them to have that experience. And it helps. I mean, that's not... I mean, if there's any reason why you should shy away from the Eastern religions... You know, you shouldn't necessarily think, oh, it's all useless, it's all whatever. It's like, no, actually, this stuff works, and that's why it's kind of scary. You see what I'm saying? Like, mantras actually do work. That's why it's kind of scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if you've dabbled in yoga or anything like that, and you have people say, you know, say this, say this mantra, and you think as a Christian, well, I can say this mantra, and it's not going to hurt me, or it's not going to make me think differently. Well, it's, uh, you play with fire, right? You play with fire. So uh, you just gotta be careful, be careful about those things. Uh, instead, pray the Lord's prayer or something. Instead, <laughs> that's what you want to do. Is that
2: a little bit like um, the Ave Maria? The, the,
0: the, oh, I don't know about all that, of that stuff. I don't know. That's reputation. oh, oh, you mean the rosaries? The rosary, rosary. Maybe I don't know. I, I think that there's, um, you know, I don't. Maybe I no. think for some people it, it could be does focus on Jesus.
2: Oh, the rosary? The, the rosary. Some of it, but not
4: Even if Mary, it's Mother of God.
2: Mary, pray for pray us. Pray for us, sinners, yeah. Sinners <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. It shouldn't.
0: No. It can't. I mean, and we can go on and on about all these examples, but yeah, yeah. No, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say you should pray the rosary. Um, you know, as far as like prayer beads and stuff like that, I'm not totally against them. It just depends on how you use them. Don't pray to Mary with them, just so you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Some people need something to do with their hands, you know. So sometimes it helps them to, to just do that, so they can actually pray and think and and uh, meditate. Um, so, yeah, just depends on how you use them. Um, all right, we need to move on. We are we are way way over. But I mean, you can you can see I've I've you know struggled with these things, and and uh, I'm not necessarily speaking from a lack of experience either right i mean i kind of grew up with this stuff too you know or i was exposed to it or i got caught up in it and 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 when i when i kind of when i was blessed with the being able to step back when i was blessed with reengaging with our lutheran heritage with our biblical worship i was blessed to see you know a good way to do it, you know, the way that God intends for us to do it. Not necessarily saying that, you know, if you don't use the Lutheran service book, you're going to hell, you know. But what I am saying is that that we have a good structure. We have a good thing that has been passed down to us from, from, you know, thousands of years ago of a way to engage in biblical worship, the divine service, you know. Let's let's stick with what works, right? Um, Number four, let's just keep moving here because we need to get through this. Number four, because there's more, right? Relationship theology. Um, <clears throat> uh, what's 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 wrong with relationship theology? It's all about you, mm. not about Jesus. Okay, and what if somebody says, no, 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 it is about Jesus. It's about it's about the relationship that 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 I have with Him, but it's about Him. What do you say to them? Why is, why is, what's, what's problematic with that word relationship?
1: It's not in the Bible.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, bottom of page 181, right? The word relationship never appears in the Bible. Um, that's one thing. Um, but let's go a little bit further. What else is, what else is problematic about relationship theology? So what he says there on the bottom of uh, what's that the third paragraph in one eighty one. Um, well, here we'll start. We'll start at the top and then go down to the bottom. So he says, relationship theology reorients our life with God so that we are always measuring how close we are to Him, and assessing the status of our relationship. Right. That um, uh, relationship theology turns prayer into a two-way conversation. We talk to God, we listen for Him. American Christianity expects God to talk directly to us in prayer, either through explicit words, impressions, or signs. Um, And then he says um, to be in relationship to something means there are two, at least, uh, you know, at, at least two objects interacting with each other, and it makes those interactions measurable. We generally speak of a relationship between two people, and we measure their relationship in personal and emotional terms. You know, it can be good, bad, complicated. People can be close or distant, right, or have no relationship at all. Um, So that it comes to that first one, the first problem, um, that uh, it's the first danger of relationship theology on page 182. It assumes the possibility of not having a relationship with Christ. Remember how I said that? Like, some people say, oh, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's like, yeah, you do, but when you say that, it probably means you hate him, right? You do have a relationship with them. You know, he says, everyone has a relationship with Jesus. Even the unbeliever has a relationship status with Jesus. Jesus, they are died for by Jesus. Like Jesus died for them. Uh, They are loved by him, but apart from faith, they stand condemned, and he will on the last day be their judge. This is a relationship. It's just not a good one, right? It's just not a good one. So that second, day, and so he's got like four dangers, right? Yeah, he's got four dangers of relationship theology. What about that second one? Um, Introduces the ideas of distance and measurement where they should not be. Why is that a problem? Yeah. God's
4: unchangeable.
0: Unchangeable, his, okay.
4: His relationship with us is always there.
0: Yeah, it's always there. We're trying, if we think about relationships, they can be measured, right? But what does he say? How does how does he liken our relationship? Like, what does he compare our, I guess the relationship, right? How does he talk about the relationship between Christ and his church? What, is, what sort of example does he use there on, uh, on that third paragraph or so on page 182? Marriage. A marriage. Yeah. yeah. That. What do we believe about marriage? What happens when a man and a woman come together in the bonds of marriage? What happens? Become one. They become one flesh. Yeah? So that to ask, I love, I love this, to ask a husband and wife, how's your relationship, is in fact to put separation and distance between them, right? How's your relationship? It's, it's asking for a judgment, an assessment, a critique. A relationship, after all, could always get better, right? You could honestly say, how's your, how's your relationship with your wife? You could, you could honestly say, it could be better with your husband. It could be better, right? There's always room for improvement, right but he says the union of husband and wife on the other hand remains the same in good times and in bad one flesh means one flesh good and bad right trying to ask try try, try asking a husband and wife these questions how is your unity how is your being one flesh the questions don't make sense and that is the joy and confidence of marriage in other words the language of relationship quote unquote right invites, invites, um, invites unnecessary critique and questions, all right? Um, So, and the same thing is true with Christ and his church. So if I understand my status with Jesus chiefly in terms of relationship instead of unity, right, then the sure things become unsure, right? And the established things become uncertain. Okay? That's the second problem, that it brings in the, the realm of measuring and distance. If you want to say, yeah, it's like, what? how's your relationship with Jesus? Like, uh, feels like sometimes he's not there. You know, feels like sometimes he's angry with me. Right? As opposed to saying... <coughs> You know, how is your unity with Christ, you know? What has God done for you? How, does, how has Christ saved you? It's like, oh, that's right. He died for me. That's right. He loves me, right? So um, how is your relationship with Jesus is an entirely different question than how is your unity with Christ, right? So this, and then the third danger of a relationship theology is that it understands our real problem in emotional terms rather than guilt and sin. What's the problem with that? What's the problem with that?
3: Our emotions can mislead us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our emotions can mislead us. Um, (coughs) that, um, (coughs) sometimes, sometimes you, well, first of all, if somebody preaches the law to you and it's because they're rebuking you for something you did wrong, how are you going to feel really bad, right? You're going to feel bad. (coughs) So you're going to think to yourself, um, you know, well, that means I don't have a good relationship, right? That means I don't have a good relationship, um, as opposed to saying, no, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of sin. Because when you say, like, well, we don't have a good relationship, so then what can be done by it? That is not answered at all in the Bible. What is answered is that you're guilty for your sin, and what does God do about it, right? That... That relationship theology makes salvation the result of my commitment and continuing resolve to deepen the relationship. It is, again, all about me, right? Not about what God has done for me. Yeah. This last sentence
2: relationship replaces repentance. Mm -hmm. And the Christian life is taken up into the thrill and devastation of a high school romance.
0: No. <laughs> it comes and goes. It's true, yeah. It's hot than cold, hot than cold, yeah. Um, and, yeah. That's very true, yeah. So yeah, so that's a problem, right? Because then it makes, it means that you can't necessarily be certain. You can't necessarily be sure about how God feels about you if it's all about the relationship, right? Um, because... If you're just trying to do more, if you're just trying to be better, I mean, you're back on that pendulum, pride despair, pride and despair all the time, right? Um, yeah, the Bible teaches us that our problem is sin, and the, res- and the solution is the forgiveness won by the death of Jesus on the cross. Relationship theology teaches us our problem is distance, We are far from God, and the solution is drawing near to God and deepening our relationship with him. Yeah, high school romance. Oh, man. All right, fourth and final uh, problem, danger, I should say. Fourth and final danger of relationship theology is that it expects things of God that he never promised. What does he say about that? How does it do that? What does he say about what relationship theology teaches us there and how we should feel about things? Anybody? What do you think? God, your word
2: might be enough for everyone else, but I need something more. Yeah,
0: I need, I need to feel it. Yeah. Talk directly to me. Yeah, Uh-huh. that, yeah, if, if we don't feel led, we're waiting to feel led. Relationship theology teaches us to listen in prayer and expect, even demand that God will talk back to us, right? This is a subtle and pious-looking denial of the sufficiency of God's Word, like what you were saying, right? And, and I've heard this. I mean, who, who hasn't heard this even from Lutherans saying, I'm just waiting for God to tell me what I need to do? And they may not say, I'm waiting for a sign, but they're basically, they're basically saying that without saying it, right? I'm just waiting for God to show me where I should go. And sometimes he will. He'll put people in your path that will have you go on one path or the other, right? And, and sometimes he will give you the means by which to go a certain direction or to say a certain thing or whatever, right? He does interact with us by putting people within our lives, But he doesn't promise us that while we're praying, we're going to hear a clear word from him to say, yes, I think you should go to Burger King for lunch. (laughs) Sorry, I'm making it kind of light of it, but it's like, or yes, you should date that person, you know, or yes, you should take this job or yes, you should ask for that raise or whatever, you know, it's like, he's not going to say, you know, no, you shouldn't talk to them about this. Right. They yeah. even like to quote and say, "Well, Gideon put out
2: the fleece. I'm put out a fleece. I, God is going. If He does this and this, then I'll know." Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's one of the, yeah. It's one of those things like yeah. Gideon put out the fleece, and on some level, God was gracious in not striking him down for testing him. You know what I'm saying? He's not giving a saying this is the way you do it. That's not, yeah. That's that is not a standard for how we should interact with God. I mean, even Jesus said, "It is written, you should not put the Lord your God to the test." Right. So, in some sense, with Gideon, because God was going to use Gideon for his for his means to do His will, He put up with. It, I think you know He put up with it. Um, but I, He doesn't promise to do that. Right. Nowhere is it promised. Um, that's That's a descriptive thing, but it's not prescriptive for how we are to be. Yeah. So yeah, the Lord has never promised any of these things. He never promised feelings, greater insight or personalized revelation. He gives us His law and promises and tells us that these are in fact sufficient for our Christian life. That's enough. That's all you need. It's kind of like one of those things. Like it's basically like somebody saying, "Oh God, you know, um, please tell me whether or not I should cheat on my spouse. He did. It's the sixth commandment. (laughs) You know, don't do it. Right. He's not going to come down with an angel and say, don't do this. You know, he already did it. It's in his law. Don't do it. Oh Lord. Tell me if I should steal this piece of candy. He already did. Don't do it. Right. One of those things. Um, uh, it, yeah, the law, his law and promises, his law and his gospel. Um, or, or this, oh God, tell me if you've forgiven me of this sin. Yes, he does, right? Yeah, but he doesn't need to send an angel or have a direct voice come to you saying, you know, in your head, in your heart, you're forgiven, it's in his word, and it's in the word spoken by a pastor or by the person that you've sinned against, and you've asked for their forgiveness, and they say, I forgive you, right? Yeah, so problems with relationship theology, uh, it's, it puts our Christian certainty under the domain of our emotions. I don't feel forgiven. I don't feel close to God, have behind them the false expectations of relationship theology, that God has promised to give us these feelings of closeness and forgiveness. And uh, relationship theology also expects God's direct intervention in our emotions and therefore treats emotions as a reliable source of information. Oof, yeesh. Yeah, that's bad. Um, yeah, so any any thoughts about relationship theology before we move on? No? All right, well, how about, how, how about we go on to number five here? Piety is the way our doctrine looks when it is lived out in our lives, according to page 184, right? Piety flows from baptism, not a decision to follow Christ. How does baptism connect to daily life? <clears throat> what does he say? What does scripture say also, right? How does baptism connect to daily life? Anybody?
1: (laughs) Well. Yeah. When you're baptized, you're baptized into the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's right. And his name is written in, our name is written in his book. That's right. And the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the old man fighting against the new man. Yeah. That's the battleground. Yeah, that's So right. that's how baptism
0: works. Yeah, daily, right? Daily we need to remember this, that, yeah. What does he say? Uh, Paul, in his epistles, his letters, he, he connects baptism to our Christian life, right? He says, um, uh, Paul sees baptism as the fountain and source of our Christian life. For example, like Galatians 3, Ephesians 4, Colossians 2, and in some ways 1 Corinthians 10, right? And then Romans 6, that do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's implied daily. We might walk now. Baptism wraps us up in the life and death of Jesus and sets us into a life of repentance. Baptism puts the flesh to death. It raises the new man to life. All we do, we do in the name of Jesus, the name given to us in our baptism. Right, so uh, piety. Well, he says it's the way that our doctrine looks when it is lived out in our lives. Right, it's walking the walk. You know, talking the talk, walking the walk. It's it's when Jesus says in, in Matthew twenty eight, you know, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and Teaching them to observe, that's right, to keep, you know, to do the things, to do all the things that I have commanded you to do, and lo, I am with you even until the very end of the age, right? we're already getting in. all right. Anyway, so he talks about baptism as the, you know, it's not about a decision, it's about what God does for you in your baptism, that you are wrapped up in the, in the death and now the new life in Christ, Right. That even even in our um, in our small catechism, Luther likens it to whenever you rise up from your bed, it's like being resurrected from the grave. Right. That you are, that it is a picture of the new life to come on the last day. Right. That now you live a new life in Christ. You are raised from your sleep like you will be raised from your sleep on the last day when Christ comes back. So that you should live and you should walk as Christ has made you to walk now. A new man. A new person. Right? Because of him. Uh, And that you begin your, you begin your uh, day by blessing yourself with the sign of the cross and you say in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and you pray the Lord's Prayer. You know, this is the prescribed (coughs) good order of things to do (coughs) for personal piety. Right? It's, the way our doctrine looks when it's lived out in our lives. It's just the way we do things as Christians. Any thoughts about that? Want to take a drink of water? Yeah? It's a lot to think about, right? Does this kind of give you a new perspective Mm -hmm. on your daily life? Does it kind of help in some way? No, it's no help at all. All right, good. <laughs> <laughs> Throw
3: out the self help books and read the Bible. Yeah,
4: read the Bible. Um, yeah, there's 52 books in there. Yeah, I you know,
0: right? Know. Pick, Pick one. What you want. Pick one. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, what did he say? <coughs> here? He says that um, <coughs> nowhere. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you should read the Bible, right? Oh, yeah. um, but at the same time, uh, the... What is that's, it? That's where the Holy
4: yeah. Spirit comes in, to me. <laughs> yeah. You're baptized and you've got the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And you do things that maybe aren't in the
0: Bible, but
4: you should do it. Yeah, so
0: there's, yeah. There's guidance. You. Yeah. You're you now are given the capacity for divine wisdom, as it were. You can read, like, the Proverbs and and discern them because you have the Holy Spirit, and, you know, it's not necessarily going to say, the Bible's never necessarily going to say, don't cheat on your taxes or whatever, but it has something to say about, you know, making sure that you give credit where it's due or, you know, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and things like that, and you, you understand wisdom for what it is, and you can apply the nuances of daily life in a faithful way. God's Word has something to say about that, for sure, you know?
3: Uh, It doesn't say to read the Bible, but um, someone likened it to you've met a new friend, and you don't just go away and never talk to them again. You want to get to know them, and the only way to get to know God um, is... Is, is how he's revealed himself in the Bible. Oh, that's right. And so, uh, if if we <laughs> here we go. If we want a closer relationship with God, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's tough, right? <laughs> yeah, we want to know him. We want we want to serve him. We want to love him and praise him.
0: So. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it creeps in there, doesn't it? You you want a better relationship with Jesus? Yeah. How about how about to strengthen your unity with Christ? Yes, yeah. How about that one? Because he's already united with you, mm-hmm. but that unity can that 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 bond can be strengthened if you want to think of it that way as well. Um, <clears throat> that you can better understand the depths of that <laughs> unity. How about mm-hmm. that too. Um, <clears throat> so he he says, you know, biblical piety. Is in fact biblical but it is important to remember that nowhere in the bible are we actually commanded to read the bible instead the lord commands us to treasure his word to meditate on his word and delight in his word you can see that it's on page 186 second paragraph see for example psalms 1 and 19 right we delight in the lord's word when we find in the scriptures the lord's great kindness and mercy when we hear his gospel if we are reading the bible without hearing the gospel we are missing the entire point Right. Um, and that, that that goes back to the whole thing of like people who say, I just want God to talk to me. It's just like, well then read your Bible. It's like, no, but I want to actually hear him talk to me. Then read your Bible out loud. <laughs> <laughs> just read it out loud. You do not want God to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's terrifying, yeah. I mean, was it the people of Israel said, We want to hear God speak to us and then they heard his voice from Mount Sinai and they said, take it away! Get out of here! We don't want... Let Moses tell us what he says. And God says, it is right what they have spoken.
4: <laughs>
0: right? He's like, lest he destroy us for being sinners, you know? Yeah. You do not want God to speak to you uh, directly. He'll destroy you, right? Um, I mean, but he already has talked to us. He has the intermediary the mediator who is Christ, right? Uh, and yeah, so flesh flesh and blood, you know, God God made flesh in Christ. So yeah. Um, okay, we're almost done here. How about number six? Of the three theological truths on page 187, uh, yeah, the three theological truths, um, which are, um, you know, so he says, to understand our christian life of love is a life of humble repentance first that our love of that our life of love is a state of is is a life of repentance second our works are always and begun are always and only begun never finished jesus and jesus alone can cry out it is finished number 3 it is impossible for us to find comfort in our works we never think we've done enough because we never have done enough. So, of these three theological truths, which one stands out to you the most? And why, If you care to say? Number one. Number one, that that, uh, our life of love is a life of repentance. I have, um, looking back,
2: Many times when I was upset with my husband, one of my children, or something, I, if I I'd go off to myself, and <laughs> I joked with my family. That's when I went and washed dishes. There were always dishes in the sink, so that's where I went when I wanted to be alone, because they nobody nobody's gonna help nobody
4: else. <laughs> so I. Especially when you're
2: banging them around real loud. <laughs> so, so they uh, they learned to stay away from when I was washing dishes. But yeah. uh, that's when I would uh, go over what had happened and say, Oh Lord, I am at fault. I can't I'm blaming her, but what did I do? Yeah, I could have that's definitely. when I the repentance.
0: So that's where I yeah. see it. I have seen it in my life through the years yeah and and people people might even call that just simple introspection, you know oh yeah someone I, 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 I saw it you know but less less we get down just a track of pure moralism right it's just like oh it's it's only introspection I'm like, no there's more to it than that, but i've i've heard it like if if there's anything lacking nowadays it's it's something like that where it's like, I've heard it likened to this. It's like, let's say that um, uh, mm-hmm. you want, you, get, you got the hankering for some frozen yogurt, right? And you go down to the frozen yogurt shop and it's closed. And you see that you're too late. It's not, it, it's not gonna be open until the morning. Now, you could either say, you could either be reactionary and say, Well, they should be open because I'm here and I want it, you know? (laughs) Or you could be introspective and say, well, what could I have done to get here sooner and get the frozen yogurt, right? I could have done something different to actually get this thing, right? So that's interesting. And on some level, repentance touches on that. On some level, you say, I got into this argument with this person. We quarreled. And you could say even if you could say, you know, I was right and they were wrong, but maybe I didn't say it in the right way. Maybe I could have said it a different way that would have not been so harsh or whatever, right? Or to say, you know, well, they're off doing God knows what, and I'm mad at them because they're off doing God knows what, as opposed to saying, well, was there ever a time when I could have talked to them about what they were doing and Saved them from, or maybe given them a word of warning against what they were doing, right? Is there's always there's always time for us to to stop and be reflective and repentant for something that we have done or that we've left undone, right? Yeah, it's a good point. Any other any other things from the three theological truths? Which one stands out to you mo- uh, more? You since, since we talked about a life of repentance, um, you know, daily picking up the cross and following Jesus, um, that our good works are so bound up to repentance that these works are called the fruits of repentance, right? Um, our repentance, that is, our sorrow over our sin and faith in the Lord's promise of forgiveness is free, is the tree from which good works flower and on which its fruits are found. Right, that's repentance. That's the fruits of repentance. Um, so about love only begun, the one where uh, the second theological truth. I this this one stood out to me personally that our works are always and only begun. Right, they're never finished. We're not. We're never done with 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 loving people. Right? Um, I, I think that was kind of interesting because I, what I, and, and just, just so we can be absolutely clear here, someone might read that bottom of page 189 and say, with works begun but never done, right? In that, you know, you just don't do them at all. Somebody might read that and say, oh, you just don't do them at all then, right? Let's not be so ob- obtuse about this, like never completed, right? That um, we are free to talk about works without the worry of legalism or pride, right? That we can always say it's a good thing, like, to say to your family, I love you, right? Saying I love you one time, does does it do it, right? It's like, it's one of those things of like, you know, why do I need to keep going to church? Why do I need to keep receiving the body and blood of Christ. It's just like, it's like, isn't Jesus' death on the cross enough for me? And my response is uh, you know, husbands, uh, was it enough for you to tell your wife on your wedding day that you love her? That you don't ever have to say it again? <laughs> I don't think so, you know? It's one of those things, it's like, it's like, well, I told her on our wedding day that I loved her. Isn't that good enough? Like, no, you should probably tell her every day you know if not every chance you get I love you honey right I love you right and that's what God does with his word and that's what he does with you know with um, his serving us in worship and that's what we do with everyone around us right we're never done it's never enough to just say like well I picked up a wrapper like five years ago and threw it in the trash why do I gotta pick up that one now you know It's, it's when, when you say it out loud, it sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? <laughs> but really, yeah, talking you know, talking about this, how it's beginning, how we're never done, it frees us from um, the dangers of perfectionism too, right? It frees us from these things because un, unlike the perfectionist, Christian works do not fight against repentance but are precisely where our life of repentance is found. Speaking always at the beginning of works helps keep them in their proper place and maintains the centrality of faith, right? That we always do our good works in faith. Now, uh, did anybody else resonate with that or think that was kind of an interesting point? The, okay. the love love just begun but never completed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of nice. Um, it makes a lot of sense, I think. It makes yeah. a lot of sense. Um, how about the comfort of comfortless works? That third theological truth—that it's impossible for us to find comfort in our works. We never think we're done. We've done enough because we never have done enough, right? What do you all think about that one? Um. <laughs> what do you think, Paul?
4: Ah. Ah. I'm not looking for comfort. Oh, yeah. yeah. Trying to help somebody. Yeah, I'm well, good. Yeah, I'm good. 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 I don't get it. <laughs> or what yeah, trying to say here, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, I guess what he's what he's, what he's trying to say is that um, our works should never be a source of pride. You know, um, our works should never be. You know, be we 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 sh- we we should never be caught in that trap of saying, "Oh, well, I'm a good enough person. I've done enough." Good things in my life, you know, that I can just kind of sit back. I don't have to do anything else now. It's like, <clears throat> um, I, do, you know, I have a lot of these anecdotal things that I that I say from other pastors because I'm still I'm still fresh, you know. I've only been at this almost three years now, so I'm sure I'm going to have a lot. You know, God willing, I'll have a lot more opportunities for you know um, counseling people, you know, pastoral care and things like that. So I have to use what other guys have told me from their experiences sometimes, um, and some on some level I kind of can't wait to say this one because I think it's just so good that <laughs> that that uh, there was one one of my professors at the seminary. He was he was a pastor out in Iowa before he became uh, before boy went to the seminary, and he said one guy came to him and he said, Pastor, I am ready to retire. I don't want to do anything anymore. I don't want to do anything, and the pastor just goes, "Okay, so you're ready to die." And he goes, "What? No, no, I'm not ready to die yet. I, you know, I just want to. I just don't want to do anything." He's like, "Well, so then you don't have anything left to do. God, God's done with you now. So, I mean, M- Moses died when God was done with him. So, I guess you're ready to die then." You know, there's always something to do. There's always some way that God has called you to be a blessing to somebody else. You have a vocation, right? You have, you have a calling in life to love your neighbor, right? To, to serve them, to care for them, to love them, to show God's love to them. So it's like when people say, I'm done. I don't want to, you know, do that or whatever. It's just like, ah, okay, you know, I, I really don't know what to say. I guess you're ready to die. You know, I guess God's done with you. Nothing left for you to do. Might as well just go on home. You know, there's always something. At the very least, and the very most, pray for people, right? I mean that's 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 what Paul says for um was it? When when you see the picture of like um oh Simeon and Anna in the temple, right? They're they're pictured as older people that society just says you're good for nothing anymore, but they're in the temple praying. They're praying, they pray, 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 you know? And I think it was so funny because even President Harrison has a great story. He was a pastor in, I think he was a pastor in Iowa, his first call, right? And yeah, and he, he said, there was one woman, he was fresh out of the seminary. One woman came to him, an elderly lady and said, and said, you know, um, uh, something along the lines of, you know, pastor, i'm just so worried about this. And i'm so concerned about this. and we need to do something about this da, da, da. and he looks at her and he says, the bible tells the bible tells older women that they should pray. so you should pray. and she goes, oh pastor, i pray for you every day.
1: <laughs>
0: sincerely, i pray for you every day. and he and he was just like, oh man, that put me in my place, you know. <laughs> So it's just like, okay, good. Good for you. You know, good, good. Keep keep doing that. But there's always something to do. There's always something for us to do, right? And 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 when we think that it's nothing special, I mean, I couldn't be further from the truth. So, you know, I hope hope this was a good chapter for y'all. Uh, the gift of a neighbor and the beginning of love. It's never finished. It's never completed. It's only completed in Christ, right? All right. Oh man, I think I think I'm just going. I'm just preaching long, uh, preaching. You know, right? I think I'm just going on longer and longer because I'm just like, when am I gonna get that phone call? to get that phone call or that baby's coming. No. Well, we should probably get going.
1: What
0: um, was well, couple times. What's that? Yeah, that that <laughs> phone, not this phone. Um, <laughs> the phone. Yeah, the phone. The phone. Yeah. A hotline. All right. Well. um, uh. I guess if there aren't any more questions, comments, I've gone on long enough, so I've probably spoken enough for all of us. Um, but how about, huh? Thank you. Yeah, thank, y'all thank you all for being here. You know, God, glad that y'all have been here for so long. It's, it's been a blessing to have y'all, for sure. We have been a blessing. Yeah, yes. very nice. Very Our nice. Texas church family. There you go. Welcome back anytime. Yeah. All right, well, how about, how about let's let's close everything as we usually do with the Lord's Prayer.